to the Impeccable Perspective Podcast, where we help you discover gospel clarity and openness in a new way by letting go of the culture and finding your truth while having some fun doing it. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Peck and Luann Roundy. All right, everyone, welcome back once again to the Impeccable Perspective podcast. Uh, we have a very, very exciting topic that we can't wait to uh, discuss and share with all of you. Just when you thought it was safe to talk about religion, along comes this podcast. <laughs> I feel like Jaws on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, um, this ain't your granddaddy's podcast at all. Uh, so uh, I'm excited actually about this particular topic because it's uh, it's one, uh, if not the main concern that I have with the culture of the church. There's a lot, but this one is I think the one that affects people the most, programs people the most, hurts people the most, and drives people away the most. And uh, I'm just excited to kind of uh, get this exposed and uh, out there. And just uh, be able to really have a, an open and frank conversation uh, about it and uh, hopefully bring some uh, aha moments to all of you and, and that you realize that uh, you're not doing everything wrong, no matter who you are. And so the topic that I'm talking about is virtue. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, yeah sounds uh, you know a little uh, generic and sweet and nice on the outside, but uh, when you pull back the ugly layers, you're going to find right. all kinds of uh, interesting uh, things to, uh, to really disclose and, and talk about and, and get into. And we've got some great talking points here that we want to share with you today. So we, our focus here is on uh, the, well, understanding the definition of the word virtue. I think, first of all, it's misconstrued in the culture of the church. I would agree. I don't think in society, well, I think in society it also has become misconstrued and it's really looking at the root of where it's come from in its purity and how it has gotten twisted again. And that's where the culture, not just the LDS culture, but the culture of what we're steeped in, especially here in America, um, has brought us to this thing of virtue being about sexuality and about women. There's the two things that come together in it and pounded into, Joe thinks that's funny whenever I, I say that's, that. That's, uh, <laughs> no, that's, I mean, listen, when we're talking about women and, and uh, sexuality and, uh, you know, you say pounding, I'm just, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great. And pun. this is why Joe, yeah, Joe's, this, Joe and I are so opposite on this oh, yeah. podcast. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he's the definite male I'll go figure. there right away when you don't even realize. Exactly. What's, what, what's where going it's going on. in exactly. that. It went downhill really fast. Back to the, it's pounded, meaning that the parents are so fearful. I think that's one of the parents biggest fears whenever I talk with parents you know, my my daughter will be um, choose things that will get her to a place where she's pregnant or that she will be taken advantage of and they don't want their daughters to experience those things which I understand as a parent that is something that is um, but it's it, that is important but it's teaching them about what virtue is what purity is why we have it in the truth of it as opposed to out of fear and out of faith that we can trust our daughters and that we can teach them and then you let them govern themselves and if they screw up and make mistakes which my children have chosen differently and they've learned from those mistakes and it's interesting some of them will look back and say wow I wish I would have chosen differently others still aren't in that place, but it's up for each of us. And maybe each of us would look back and say, you know, I chose to do these things and I learned an amazing thing from it. Or wow, there was probably an easier way to learn that. And, and I just didn't choose that road. But now, you know, and you can also take great comfort in knowing that the atonement is there for any you know, mistakes you make or, uh, and I don't even like to use the word sin because I don't think when we, when we make a choice and it turns out to be, let's say, the wrong choice for us personally, or we realize, you know, there was a better, like exactly what you're saying, there's a better way to actually learn that lesson or a better way to do that, and now I know that. I don't like to say that's a sin because saying it's a sin 
means that there's no value in it, that you did something wrong and you should never ever do that again and mm -hmm. shame on you. Whereas like you think about the value you get from making a choice and then you learn from it, whether it's a tough lesson or a great lesson, it's valuable and, and should, it's okay to do that. I like your viewpoint and, and it's that shame that you're steeping into it that it is a sin because I'm missing the mark and we're gonna talk about that with virtue and what it truly is. And when I miss the mark, I learn, okay, I need to shoot my arrow a little differently at the target. Again, another you, uh, innuendo. <laughs> well, yeah. You're, We're just, you're, you're just going to be on a roll here. today yeah, with that one. Today. That's, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I need to aim at it differently and do something differently to get a different result. And that is because people ultimately are searching for joy, happiness, to feel fulfilled, to find love, connection, and to return back to God. Like that ultimately we all want to return home. And I don't care what religion you're in. That's their ultimate goal, to return back to home. And, and there we can feel that longing for home and, and why we want to go back. And that's where virtue was part of that. And that's why it's one of the... There's many parts of Christianity that virtue is in. Um, and, and so let's just talk about the origin of it. The origin I looked up is Latin. Ver is, it's funny, whenever we talk about Latin, my seventh grader is taking Latin, which I just love because now she's going to learn the origins of all these words and what they, re what they really mean as opposed to what man has made them out to me. And think of all the job opportunities she'll have Yeah, too. think of how much she can speak a dead language. It's wonderful. <laughs> Bilingual, English and Latin. What? Uh -huh. yeah. Exactly. Uh, we don't need that here. But it's the, so in Latin, it's man and virtuous is valor, merit, moral perfection. So let's say man's moral perfection. So if we're looking at virtue, whenever we then go to the definition, behavior showing high moral standards, a quality considered morally good or desirable in a person. None of that has to do with sexuality, and that's where it's gotten misconstrued. Virtue is a power, and, and Joe and I, as we talked about this, have talked about really virtue is about God's power, and, and that is the important part because all power comes from God, and there's different kinds of virtue. There's sexual power, there's healing power that the Savior had that we'll talk about, there's um, power of, of even the virtue of the priesthood power that they talk about that the, that has a virtue of where am I focusing it am I focusing the priesthood power of in a morally good or desirable way that it's God's power to act on the earth or am I looking at priesthood power as well look at I have this power I'm so wonderful I can do amazing things we have the power of creation as well right that we've been given that's a power it's we a are power. ability to create life um, not everyone should have that, as you can tell, but uh, that does happen, and uh, you know that's just how it is. We have to roll with that. Uh, we talked about the power of discernment, right, and being able to, yeah, the power. Like the, I have several friends who are empaths, and uh, they are able to really feel, you know, the the uh, the energy of other people around them mm -hmm. more so than I think the average person can, at least that's how they feel about themselves. But they, they literally take on that energy of the person that they're around, things like that. That's a, that's a power. You and know, there's, feel there's, and yeah. right. You can feel it. And, and that's, it's virtue is that is just looking at it as God's power and how we now have that in our lives to be able to use it, um, in our lives. And, and if you talk, it, virtue is also a, um, a power that's talked about in the Bible along with faith, hope, and charity. And, and we talked about virtue and having its faith in God to be able to understand how to use that power. That's more where we get into the part about women. What's interesting though also is women's power how women have a different power than men. Let's talk about that for a second, and then mm -hmm. men do. Women's power is to draw people to them. Um, the Savior had a very feminine, it's called feminine power, that they draw people to them. He drew people to him, whereas men's um, power is external. They, they are outreaching, and that's where the two they reach out, women draw them too, so they fit nicely together. That's how they fit women and men together. And with this power, women draw men to them and draw their children to them and draw others to them. And then it's choosing, how am I going to use that power that God has given me through that energy? Because we all have an energy. Yeah, 100% for sure. 
Um, and uh, yeah, and, and we, we talked about, uh, this was an interesting point that you made earlier that, um, you know, that power that women have to draw people to them will, will draw people to the church right. as well, which is, uh, I, 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 find, I never really thought of it that way. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, actually, um, like that. And do you want to talk? I'm just curious to know what you, how you feel like that will play out exactly. What? It's, it's interesting, but it's been talked about by Quorum the Twelve, by the Prophet, about women and how they will be the ones to draw people to the church. Spencer W. Kimball said in the coming days, and I'm paraphrasing, in the coming days, it will be the women of the church that will draw people unto us. And it's it's true. If you look at how the church is moving and shifting, and there's a shift in it, women really have a greater role in the church in meeting with even in the um, the high leadership of the church with the prophet, with the quorum of the twelve. Every thing that they do, the women are now involved. If they are talking about the restoration, if they're talking about um, in conference, there's more women speakers. There's there, whenever they have some type of broadcast, there's always a woman present and her voice is always heard. So they're really moving into that. And people will ask, well, why didn't this happen before? And, and it's, again, God's timing and how it's the right time for that to, to present in the society and in the culture that we have and why God would have it come about now. That's, um, that's very interesting, thinking about timing, because people get really kind of bent out of shape. And and this is, you know, LDS stuff too. And if you're not, uh, you you know, a a member of, if you're not a Mormon listening to this, uh, that's okay. But um, there there are certain things uh, that have happened throughout history that people challenge, uh, you know, uh, for example, blacks in the priesthood, receiving Mm -hmm. the priesthood, you know, after uh, other, other, like basically white people, white men have received the priesthood and there was a delay for that. And, and uh, you know, there, there was uh, charges of, you know, just racism and, and things like that. And the church is, uh, is kind of stuck in the past, and all these kinds of things. And, and same thing with women. I mean, traditionally the LDS church is a patriarchal kind of thing. That's not right. And that's more of the culture, but that's what it's evolved to. And it comes from the fact that most leadership is men because they hold the priesthood and they're called to certain positions and, and women aren't called to certain positions, but they, they're called to other positions, which is all equal. But it, it, the, the problem is that people look at that and say, this isn't fair, this isn't right. But it's not about that. It's about God's timing, which is a fantastic thing. And women have this beautiful, amazing ability to connect and to draw and to nurture, right? And, and to really just build these wonderful relationships and true soul-to-soul connections with, with everybody. And it's time for that to take center stage now in, at this time in history because that's going to fulfill God's plan of salvation and what the world needs, I believe, mm-hmm. at this time. It's not because you know they weren't worthy of that before no. or it's not because they're not good enough and suddenly they are. It, it, it's crazy. It, it, men and women, we've, we've, we both have different characteristics, different skills, different abilities. We're made to complement each other, not to be equal to each other. And the point of that is to make all of this work. And, you know, when God needs those particular skills and abilities to kind of take center stage and and fulfill his plan, that's when he calls things up. But you can't say, oh, up until now, you know, women were oppressed in the church and they were, you know what I mean? Like that, that doesn't, that, that's not the point, even though that's, that's man's interpretation of things, which is incorrect. That's not God's plan. God doesn't look like it. Yeah. Men are better than women or anything like that. No, he never has. And they're always, always within the doctrine, men and women are equal. It may be a patriarchal, but that let's go back to their running the church. And that is the that has nothing to do with the doctrine and nothing to do with the spiritual part they are spiritual equals and always will be spiritual equals and the church i think and and society is seeing that and there's way more emphasis in women in um, government roles in schooling in being equal in science and and we're science technology in and you do that the stem the stem right programs that they're in exactly right and the church even back in i'm looking at a talk by gordon b hinckley in um 1988 our responsibility to our young women talks about how so much of this is 88 so we're talking it's a long time ago how much of our focus has been on the young men and it's time to put it on the young women and he calls it a renaissance 
Um, the church has been in the forefront of training the daughters of Zion and giving them responsibility. We believe and have taught consistently from the earliest days of the church that a woman's greatest mission in life is honorable and happy marriage with rearing of honorable and happy family, mother, nurturing, and we're back to the proclamation. But then he talks about how it's important for them to get an education, to have responsibilities for women in the church, in the community, consistent and in total harmony with marriage, motherhood, and the rearing of children. Um, that the tr and then he says it's important that girls in the church have an opportunity for and motivation to move forward in programs designed to improve their skills, to enhance their estimation of their self-worth, which I would challenge that's probably one of women's biggest issues that I work with is their self-worth and young women. They really struggle because it's based on their body image, which has nothing to do with their self-worth at, at all. But the church culture perpetuates that, and we're going to talk about that as well. Right. That's, that's why there's these image problems, right, to, because of that. To that, to broaden their knowledge of the gospel with consequent increase in faith. The generations are largely cast by mothers who produce them, meaning it's the traditions of the mothers, oh, the mothers also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The story told that Brigham Young was once asked what he would do if he had to choose between providing education for his sons or for his daughters. I love Brigham Young. He's kind of like on the edge. He replied he'd educate his daughters because they would become the mothers of his grandchildren. Well, that's fantastic. What a great perspective that is. Yeah. It, you know, it really, really is. And, and yeah, and there's another quote we'll talk about in a little bit. But it's, it's the, even the traditions of the mother. So I have a, like a client who really struggles with body image, and she's working and has made significant strides in that. But it's come back to her mother had a problem with her body image and would always say, I'm fat. I don't look good. I don't know. I'm not attractive. I don't look the way that I used to. And there's zero truth to, any, to her. She's not attractive. And then it's her thought that are that are propelling where she's going and how she's teaching her daughters to view themselves as opposed to teaching them our bodies are amazing wonderful things you have worth no matter what you look like sure we want to take care of ourselves because why because when I love my body and we're back to it's a gift from God and that power or that gift from God that I've given I'm going to do everything to take care of it and my body is a temple how do we take care of the temples they are very sacred, and they are taken care of at two, I mean, like when you clean the temple, it is a very detailed, very specific cleaning where there's not a particle of dust that's left by the end of it. If we take care of our bodies in that way and love them, then we're really going to focus on loving and putting things into our body in the ways that we eat, the ways that we exercise and get our sleep, and love them just for what they are. If you think about what's, if you've been inside a temple, right, and you've seen it, uh, you, you see how incredibly ornate everything is. And there's literally tens of millions of dollars that goes into building a, a temple. And, and everything is top shelf. And so if you kind of take that analogy and, and look at what you put into your body, right, it's the same idea. What gets put into the temple is only the best ingredients, let's say. Correct. And so that's the same thing with your body if you're referring to it as a temple. What are you eating? What are you putting into your body that is uh, going to change things on the inside, right? With all of the functionality of your body, we need to have, uh, you know, following uh, good uh, health and nutrition practices for that. So it comes to, it's not just the exterior good skincare and things like that and even exercise. We also have to think about what, what goes right. on inside our body. So, okay, so let's, um, we want to talk about uh one form of power and virtue, that being sexuality, because it is when when you look at the culture of the church, when you talk to members of the church, when they think about virtue, they think about sexuality. When they think about modesty and chastity, it's all about sexuality. That's only one part of the uh, the, the whole all the power that encompasses virtue. But unfortunately, it's just the one thing that's on everyone's minds. We want to dispel a lot of the problems in the culture of the church and help people understand what that true. Uh, power really means and that you have it and, and how you can use it properly. So I want to um, start off with your definition of, of virtual, virtue, virtue in terms of sexuality, because this was really an aha moment for me. I never, ever thought of it in this uh, context at all when you, when you told me about that. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. So you said that virtue is when a woman does not use her sexual power to manipulate men or others or to get gain for herself. 
Correct. Okay. So let's break that down and talk about what that really means. Okay. So, and let's go back to the scripture that's rooted in. Proverbs 31, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies, rubies being the most desired or, or expensive, valuable, valuable currency or what have you. Right. And so if you, okay, who can find a virtuous woman? Let's, let's kind of pick that apart for a second. A woman of power, meaning that she has God's power that she has saved to use within the bounds that God has set. And the bounds that God has set are what, Joe? In terms of sexual power. Sexual power. Basically, um, you know, no sex before marriage and complete fidelity after marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's it. And what's interesting is those are the doctrines that we've been taught. Those are the things that the church... And again, now we're not looking at culture. We're looking at purity and truth. Right. And why would a woman save that to be within marriage? Because at that point, the man has committed emotionally. And there's this commitment and promise between both of them. And she has a trust or, or a, a covenant with him. If you're looking at a covenant marriage also within... Uh, the ceiling of the temple that he has covenanted and promised to listen to her as she is to him. And they have covenanted to listen to the Lord and to bind that marriage with the Lord. And then at that point is that power used in the way that God has asked us to. And when we look at now statistics of um, children who come from single family homes or homes where it's just a mother and no father, those children do not thrive and do as well in in every way in their lives. They need a mother and a father. They need both the feminine and the masculine. They need both viewpoints to help them to be well-rounded individuals and to thrive, have happiness and joy, again, where we're back, and to be loved by those two. So that's why we're asked to do that and to save that power. And what's interesting is when we have this power, we want to use it. I always think of superheroes. They have the superhero power, and they're like, oh, and I want to go out, and I want to you know, give it to others and help others and save others. Yeah, exactly. Within that. And so women have this and they, and they can feel that. And that's now teaching, whether it's your child, young women or people that you're with, you do have this amazing power and you're going to feel it. And it's wonderful. And it's amazing. Not the shame steeped, steeping them in shame and guilt that you have this power. You're feeling it that maybe they go out and kiss some, a boy. And I tell parents, wow, that's wonderful. That means that they're interested in boys and that they understand and are feeling those things. And they're, they're using it within the bounds of, the, a kiss is a fine way to be able to be curious and inquisitive and we want our children to, and then teaching them. And that curiosity is going to lead to wanting to use that power even more. And here's the healthy way of looking at it and what we're asked to do because whenever you cohabitate with um, someone, the chances of you getting married are dropped significantly than if you date and then you wait and, and have virginity whenever you come into marriage. And that's... Careful that's a, throwing that word around. Uh, a, yeah, well, we're, uh, we're way past that now, remember. We're, <laughs> we're, we're dating post-divorce. Here, Notice so. the first three letter, letters, virgin, virtue. virtue, it's the same. But whenever there's a lot of, of other religions that are and people that are also, ta- you know, virginity rocks, they have their T-shirts. It's something that's coming as a culture. Again, it's seen as a power that I'm going to save for someone who's special. Because if you're giving it away, then you're giving your power away. And why is a virtuous woman beyond rubies? Because she hasn't given her power away. Well, I know. And that's what I love about the definition. I think your definition of that is the complete opposite of what the culture of the church teaches. And we're going to just touch on that, too, because it, that, that's, I think, the, the one thing about the culture that drives me crazy the most. Like That really bothers me the most is the way that... People are, are, are taught about sexuality and shame and guilt and all that stuff that gets used. But notice um, the, the, the thing is with, with sexual power, it's, you're not uh, virtuous by suppressing your sexual power or denying it or, or, or you know, pretending you don't have it. That, but that's what the culture of the church tells you right. is virtue, but it's not. It's just using it in the way that God intended or in the way that's right for you, in the way that's going to make you happy and 
and feel good about yourself about yourself and not so, hurt other people so let's go into that whenever you're in a church culture or in a family culture we're back to the mothers and how they raise their daughters that it's shameful that they have those feelings it's not shameful but if you teach them that every time they feel those feelings and it's this huge mixed message which causes a lot of confusion within us as adults or them especially them as children that you're feeling this power or the sexuality and these stirrings, shame on you, those are bad and wrong. And so then they go into marriage and people will say this over and over and over. We got sealed in the temple and they kept saying, no, don't do this. This is wrong. This is bad. It's not something that you practice. You know, you save it for this and we save it and we get there and I'm with my husband and I am not interested. Yeah. And or pe- petrified, petrified, number one, and totally afraid of him and what's going to happen and that it's bad and it's wrong. And it's so the thoughts we're back into thinking, 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 thinking what they've thought over and over because they've been told and they've been brainwashed and manipulated into believing this is bad and wrong. And again, that does not bring them to a place of healthiness when it's time to be married and you can't suddenly flip a switch on and say, and now it's good. It doesn't work. That's that way. exactly what the culture tells you. Yes, go ahead. Sex is okay. Enjoy it. Give me grandkids. Right. But it's not by that, by that time they have been so programmed. And again, the church isn't coming or the culture rather is not coming out and saying sex is bad. They don't say those words, but when you shame people, when you use guilt, when you tell people that, you know, you can't do this, you can't kiss a boy, you can't dress this way, you can't have these thoughts because that will that will drive the spirit away. That's not being chaste. That's not being virtuous. All these things. People make the connection in their mind. Well, if I'm being told that I shouldn't be doing these things, therefore they must be wrong, and I I shouldn't do them. I you know I want to have God love me. I want to be a virtuous woman and all these things. And so yeah, we can't do we can't do any of this stuff. And so your brain just gets programmed year after year. And when you get married. You can't flip a switch. There's no. no such thing. You can't flip that switch. And that is a huge problem because you still, even though, well, I know I can have sex now, but in, in your mind, you're thinking, well, this is still wrong or I shouldn't enjoy it because that's not right. Or we shouldn't do it very often because we don't want to make it the focus of our lives and we want to be selfless and not selfish. So I'm not going to enjoy it a whole lot. Or we're certainly not going to do anything other than missionary position in the dark because that's what pornographers do. And we don't want to be like them because mm-hmm. that's wrong. And all this false programming that completely destroys that whole experience for people. And it's destroying marriages because, right. you know, they, they, women act this way. I don't want to blame women for this, but I mean, they're programmed this way. But the, the problem is if they have a real hesitation and, and not a, a desire to really give themselves, and it goes both ways, but they, you know, all of a sudden their, their husbands turn to porn for, for that, that experience or for that um, release or whatever it is, right? I mean, they, for the, they're looking for that outlet. And they're not getting it from their spouse. And so they turn to porn, and then that becomes a huge problem. Well, and it's, it's not even necessarily that they're not getting it from their spouse. There is a, let's talk about what healthy is. Healthy is that we are joined, we cleave to each other. Think of what cleaving is. We are, we are one flesh is another way of looking at that. That is being intimate. But intimacy crosses many different um, boundaries of emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, spiritual intimacy, where we are spiritually connected, meaning that I have become vulnerable and open and not just physically naked, but emotionally naked. And my, I really share my true spiritual, um, beliefs, experiences, what's going on. And then mentally too, mentally connecting is especially important for women to be able to express and be listened to, heard, validated, that their husbands cherish them and see them as a part of their lives that they want to engage with. Um, and whenever all of those are, are open and honest and truthful and sharing, that's whenever the two, the couple can have that meaningful relationship and the husband's never going to want to go to look at other things. That's exactly how it should be, right? And But this is a huge problem. It can't be that way because of the way the culture is programmed. Because people. of the manipulation right. and programming that, that the young men don't get that programming. No, that they don't. Sh- shame on you for this. They're told not to look at porn, and and that's a whole nother topic we can talk about another time. There's such a huge pornography industry, why that's attractive. 
but and but they are told not to look at that but they're not really taught about their sexual power because again theirs is very outward and they don't necessarily um need that they men outwardly express themselves and they go and do things and and they're doers women are more beers where i'm attracting that really needs to be talked about because it's a passive as opposed to an active power and they have this and they do attract men to them through their thoughts and their energy and that's where there are these hard rules that women are given don't dress this way don't wear short shorts don't wear a bikini don't wear these things because it attracts young men to you that is not their responsibility what the young men's thoughts or what they're attract you know if they're attra- if young men are attracted to a young woman good for them that means they're sexually healthy <laughs> it's it yeah, is it's good again right. you don't That's want to teach want. Because what happens if you teach young men it's bad to be sexually attracted to a, a woman, a young woman? Then he's going to think, well, maybe I need to be sexually attracted to a man because if this is bad and wrong, then I don't want to feel guilty and shame. And, and they, and I, wanna, I don't want to um, disappoint God or, either. Or my parents or someone else, and they're confused. It starts from the confusion, and that's where they start searching for something else. Maybe I'm attracted to, to boys. Maybe I'm not sexual. Well, and then we get into the whole, I'm pansexual, I'm not sexual. I, yeah. It, we, <laughs> the confusion is rampant among the it's youth real. of the world today. Yeah. And it's teaching them, no, this is the way that we are created by God. If you're confused, let's talk about it. Let's explore your thoughts and your feelings and your body sensations. Ask them to be open and honest with you or if they can't maybe to go to therapy and talk about those things with the person who's not their parent that cuz you you know you can't disappoint your therapist they're going to be love you and accept you no matter what what you do in that way but helping them to gain an understanding of that we do have this power we're asked to do this because it is what's healthiest for us socially and spiritually and emotionally and mentally and physically and that those are the marriages that again statistically last longer are the ones that are based upon those principles than the ones that that it's I've given my power away time and time again let's so let's say a young woman goes out and gives her power away time and time again and the power can come back she brings the power back but if I'm giving it away giving it, what do I learn as a woman, the only way I connect with a man is when I give him my power. So I give that and I have sex with him. He's attracted to me back. At least I get something which is better than nothing. And it's women have a fear of I'm going to be alone. I'm going to, and it goes back to survival and rejection. I won't survive if I don't get married. How am I going to financially support myself? I'll be rejected and I will never, I'll be the cat lady is what I call them. I'll live with 50 cats and they'll be my happiness. Crazy cat lady. The crazy cat lady. But I won't have this marriage, and that's what they long for. They long to have this connectedness, and, and, and they want it so badly that they will give their power away just to get something. And once the man has it, the chase is over, and it's no longer... No, it's not. And, and you know, from... I, I, I can attest to that because, you know, as a convert, right, I grew up living in the world, and, and, uh, and that's what you do. And I was sexually active and I was looking at women for that and, and you know when I would have sex with somebody I the only reason that became the only reason that I wanted to be with them ongoing right was just I can I can have sex with them that's that became the foundation of, of the relationship and I never wanted to marry those women because I didn't have respect for them all these things it's a horrible vicious terrible cycle that uh, everyone lives you know and and I learned how devastating it can be and and how hurtful it can be to people when you're just trying to satisfy, right, your own desires. Appetites and passions. Appetites and, passions. and that's, that's what it comes to. Bridling those. And for men, it's learning to bridle their passions and say, I really do want to do this. Rein it in. And we're going to do it within these bounds of holding hands and kissing and being close and, and enjoying learning to get to know each other on these other ways. We become friends. We become emotionally connected. And then it comes after that. But... You're right. If there's a lot of shame with the woman, it comes to the wedding night and it's not there. And and sometimes women can work through that. The men are very tender and caring and listen and they can hopefully open up and express, this is what I've been taught and I'm really struggling with this because... I, you know, I've never been naked in front of someone. I've never, women in their bodies, they don't like being vulnerable and, and, and being naked. That's something you ask any woman who goes in and tries on a swimsuit, how, on how much they enjoy doing that 
in a department store. <laughs> when I don't know if I should go. That probably would be a creeper vibe if I went and did that. <laughs> with you could say with with someday whenever you have a wife or something. But it's okay. women hate that, and they'll talk over and over about the naked truth of I don't like standing there. And I'll have clients stand in front of a mirror and say, I love my body. My body's amazing, and they just don't believe it. But but women's bodies are amazing no matter what they look like. If you look at statues and paintings, they're beautiful, amazing things. And them believing that, taking that into the marriage, and whenever they find that, it's going to be new, but there's a curiosity that they discover together. And that's the wonderful part of it, is that new curiosity discovery that would be healthy. And we don't know, but we're willing to learn and experiment and just figure out how all of that works. And in that, there's an, it's not bad in marriage to read and learn and gain a knowledge also. There's nothing bad about understanding anatomically the way things happen so that the marriage can have the fulfillment that you want and, and that you can continue through all the years of marriage to progress. Because people who do have healthy marriages will tell you intimacy becomes better with the marriage because they understand each other and there's still that passion because they still have that power that they share with each other and they save it for that person. Again, they don't give it away through I'm going to dress provocatively to flaunt it and to energetically attract men to me because the more men that are attracted to me means the more power that I have. Well, exactly, yeah, and and that that's a very good point. Like you mentioned before, there's no shame in um, wearing wearing outfits that are very flattering to your body or wearing bikinis. I personally, I love a woman who will rock a bikini. Like I think that's empowering. I love the confidence it gives them. I I, I just love the way it looks. I don't think there's anything wrong about that and you know talking about that first of all um, the big problem with the culture of the church is that they've made women feel that they control the actions of boys by the way that they dress exactly and, and boys are responsible for their thoughts if you can right. teach them that you see a young woman wow she looks hot in that and they, you know, or whatever their thought is they might feel sexually aroused and they go okay that is normal and natural, and I'm not going to continue down that pathway because that is not somewhere I go right now, but I'm mindfully aware of it. I'm feeling and experience it, and I look at her, and I'm able to say, you know, that is something beautiful that I can love as a, a gift from God. Yeah, right. We're back to that power from God, and that someday within the bounds of marriage, that will be something that I can feel and experience, and, and looking forward to that and being able to find that because in dating men are definitely more wired into the way women look than women are wired into the way a man looks it's more important for them and that's back from caveman brain of i want our children to survive in that way but it's it's so it's it's an important part but can you see you teach your sons that's normal and natural you're not bad or wrong for having that and there are things your body might do, that's okay. Just be aware of it and say, this is normal and natural. I'm going to rein it back a little bit because I, that's not a place to Giving go in is unhealthy, time. especially if we're talking about teenagers or things like that, right? Exactly. But the, um, the, 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 this is really a big problem, but the culture of the church makes women feel like, hey, if you dress in, in a way that is immodest, which is a, you know, everyone's got a different definition of that, but they say, they say this is our definition of, of modesty, so you just have to follow it. There's only one dis- definition of that. But if they dress outside of, of those expectations, it's their fault that a, a, you know, a boy gets these thoughts in his head or even takes action and says something to her or even tries to touch her, which is completely inappropriate, of course, right. or just even whatever it is, but he's drawn to her from that. And maybe he does something that he shouldn't do. You can't shame a woman in saying that was your fault because of the way you dressed. Because what this is doing is it's, it's saying that boys don't have agency, right? You, how you dress controls, controls how them. they act. Exactly. And that's taking away their agency. And that's not true. They have their agency completely, like we all do. That, again, is teaching. And there, there's several examples in the culture of the church that I think perpetuate the adversary's plan, which is there's only one choice. We all have to follow the same path, and we get all the same result. There's no agency. Now, that's you know that, that's pretty bold kind of thing. But if you look at it, you know when, when they're talking about 
there's only one way to live. You have to follow a celestial path. You have to do, make all these choices that we tell you you have to make. And then we're all going to live together in the celestial kingdom and be happy together. That's kind of the same idea, loosely at least, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's just there's Satan's one plan. Satan's plan. There's one. And these people aren't perpetuating Satan, of course. But that's where the culture is mixed up. They are thinking that there's only one way to go. So we all just have to hold hands and follow this path. There's no other choice. And we all get the same result. That is, by definition, Satan's plan. So when you say to a young woman, hey, you dress this way, you made that boy have those thoughts. You made him shame, you know, post, on, you. shame on you. He posted these things about you on social media because of the way you dressed. Or he came over and, and wanted to ask you out and, and was uh, you know, making sexual jokes about it or, or things like that. That's on you. And that's not true. That's his agency. He chose to do those things regardless of how she looks. If he can't control how she, his, his reactions based on how she looks, he should turn and go away. It's not her fault. He needs to turn inside of himself and right. ask himself, wow, why am I degrading this person, looking and objectifying her as opposed to seeing her as a person? And sure, again, that may be attractive to me, and just realizing that's attractive and, and being inquisitive and healthy. But as soon as they go in and it's the world's teachings to degrade them and to see them and objectify them, that he can own them. And then it becomes the conquest. And, the, right. and, and that's, that was never what it is. But the, uh, the culture of the church perpetuates that. I believe they put those, they use that guilt and that shame on young women to, to the point where they're scared to even, they're afraid to even look good in an outfit because they're thinking, well, these jeans are, are tight and they're fit and they, f- they look really good on me, but is someone going to look at that and think that I'm being immodest? Uh-huh. That's, so, uh, you know what I mean? So the inquisitive part for the young women is, okay, let's go back to the jeans example. I'm wearing these jeans, I look great in them. Wow, I love my body and I want to look good. Why? Because I love myself and I want to give that love and confidence and self-worth that I have on the inside, on the outside. And that means if I look good in something, I'm going to wear it. That's healthy. Unhealthy would be, I'm, I'm wearing these jeans. Wow. I'm going to look sexy. And my, that power that I have is going to attract boys to me. The more boys that are attracted to me, the better I am, the more I'm worth and the, and the hotter I am. And the more boys that whistle at me or say something to me means that I'm a worthy individual and that I'm beautiful. Well, that's, that's an insecurity thing for, for one thing. And that's a form of, of manipulation that we talked about, which is not the yes. definition of virtue. When you use that sexual power that you have and you're entitled to it and it's amazing and you should not suppress it. But when you use it to manipulate someone where it's going to say, I'm going to not only dress super sexy and, and, and very suggestive and provocative, but I'm also the way I act, the way I move my body, the way I look at boys, the, way, the signal that I send out, that's going to attract them to me. And I want that. I want to be able to control them and attract them to me. That's manipulation. And that's giving away your power. Like you said, that is not being virtuous. It's using my power to get what I want. Yeah, but that's not virtue. It's nothing wrong with having the power. It's just using it in the right way. In, in a healthy way. In a healthy way. way, like you're saying. Right. And I have this power and I'm going to use it with my husband to bind myself and right. he's going to take his power and we're going to bind ourselves through through even conceiving children is a very binding way to use that power because it gives us the power of creation and that's the interesting with all of virtue and god's powers women have this virtue because they really hold the power of creation the man has to give part of it but after right. that it becomes the woman's nine months of creating and having that power to create that body. Men don't hold that power. No, not at all. I mean, and like we talked about, right, the man's job is done at conception. Conception. He's, he's done. That's just the beginning of the whole journey. And the women do hold all that power, but they were given that power by God for mm-hmm. a purpose. And that's great. That's their role. And that's part of what they have. That's their gift. And interestingly enough, the keys of the priesthood that are restored to the earth, the one key that is not restored is the key of creation. Oh, that's interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? That the men have the, so we have different keys, like, you know, the keys of, you know, the being temple ordinances of being able to be sealed and have the family together. The keys of the different, the keys that the prophet holds or a patriarch holds, but they're not, that's one of the keys that has not been restored to the earth. So what does that mean? The keys of creation to to create what? So that whenever the savior was organizing matter and creating the earth, he held the keys to the priesthood of being able to create. And, and that's how he took that and was able to take matter. And that has to do with physics that matter always exists and won't change, but he took that and created the earth, but nowhere does man hold that to be able to act for God. 
God in that way. But women, not that we hold that key, but we have that power. There's a difference. Remember priesthood power, mm -hmm. priesthood keys, mm -hmm. the authority. And that's the part that the men hold. They have the authority of the, of the church, but women can call on priesthood power all the time and right. access priesthood power through their faithfulness. But they also hold the power of creation along with the man. Again, the man has to be a part of that, but truly the, the life form is created within their body oh, and within, and is mostly influenced through their nurturing and through that that no, power. the women hold the power 100% in, in creation. And that's an amazing thing. That's a beautiful thing. It's so powerful. Like you're literally creating life. Like not one single person in the history of the world would exist without a woman. Correct. Think about that. Like, or a man because you can't well, do it. And that's, again, the joining of the two and the understanding we need each other. We can't do this on our own. Marriage is a solemn thing that God wants us to join in to have an understanding of eternal principles. There's heavenly mother. There's an eternal principle. He can't do it on his own. There are There is an energetic balance between the two of them. And that's what we experience here on the earth because everything that's joined on earth is joined in heaven, meaning that what we have here is a truth there. And it's understanding and realizing that in that, that scheme of things, we're just little gods in embryo learning how to do this through our marriage covenants and through our sealing and through how we experience that. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's it something is. else. And yeah, it, uh, it is. And, and I think it, you know, it just has been so bent out of shape by the culture of the, of the, of of the, the church. church, right? Where the pe people, and again, especially women, right? But I mean, everyone has been brainwashed, literally brainwashed, which is a strong word to use. And it's, it's, it's not the word you want to associate with the church, but we're not associating with the church or the gospel. We're associating with the culture of the church because these are the people who are actually brainwashing other people. And they have good intentions, but I don't understand how they don't realize that this is damaging. Right, and parents who are so based in fear that they, again over and over and over, don't do this, don't do this, don't. And how about just gaining an understanding and saying, and this is why, and, and helping them to understand that. Absolutely. So just to be clear, um, you know, having uh, virtue does not mean you have to dress, dress like an Amish, right? Or right. a polygamist at all. Uh, I love personally myself, and I think, you know, not, not every guy is going to, never every guy who's a member of the church, I think, is going to agree with this because they've been programmed uh, that way as well. But I absolutely love women who are confident in their bodies. And there, there are amazing women who take care of their bodies, who spend a lot of time working out and taking care of nutrition, really making an effort to look amazing. And they're very healthy and they look incredible. And they need to, sh I mean, I'm okay with them showing that off kind of thing. It's like, I want to celebrate that because there's nothing wrong with that. No. And it, does it come from a place of, I love my body and so I take care of it? Or does it come from a place of fear that the only way to be worthy, lovable, and acceptable is to look amazing? So I'm going to look amazing so that I can get... Right, but I, I see that there's a lot of women that, like a lot of women won't wear a bikini, for example. Like, you know, not a lot of women, I'm talking LDS women. A lot of LDS women think that it's immodest to wear a bikini because they've been brainwashed to think that. And, and it's a choice. If they don't yeah, feel comfortable. It's, yeah, perhaps it's that too, and that, sure, that's fine. But that's I think a fine. lot of it is like, well, we shouldn't do that. Or they look down on women who wear bikinis or things like that. And, and that, that happens in the culture. But it's just this shaming, right, that, uh, that creates the, the false perception and creates all this uncomfortableness where people are afraid to to do that but i mean you know if, if you like man one of the most sexiest looks for me is is daisy dukes and cowboy boots kind of thing right or, or a, a, a crop top maybe or just a, like a pencil skirt and a blouse and and right like that. very all professional but very all professional. of that like, can be all beautiful yeah attractive and nothing, yeah and there's nothing shaming about that you're not being immodest by showing the curves of your body or showing skin or, or even wearing a short skirt right things like that and let's go into a, a woman can be dressed modestly doesn't have to be in any of those things it's the power that she has and how she presents herself with confidence she can be wearing a very attractive stylish dress that is t completely modest but it's her confidence in the way she carries herself that presents that it is yeah and i think the the programming problem that we have is that people feel like hey if you're showing again this is literally as told young women don't show your midriff right don't show everything has to uh, skirts everything has to be below uh, the knee, knee or at the knee and all these kinds of things and it just I don't know it's it's not the best look I think for, for some people and, and there's if you're wearing something different that is more flattering on your body and showing your midriff or whatever because you have a tight tummy or you've got a you know and you have a little um, uh, um, 
I can't think of the word, just uh, a, a piercing. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, brain fart. So piercing uh, in your belly button kind of thing, which that's is really, a, it's, that's it's up fantastic. To you, it's one piercing, right? That's okay. It stays. But it, again, those are things that are up to you. Yeah. And, and, and it's taken within the bounds and the covenants and the promises that we've made. So whenever we have temple covenants, we make certain covenants and promises that we will adhere to. That doesn't mean, again, you remove your garments for certain things and that would, you know, to work out, to have sex, exactly. But that's one of them to play sports. Like to me, it would be irreverent to go running in my garments because stupid. I'm yeah. It's to me that it's, I'm sweaty. I'm, I'm exercising. That is something that is more appropriate to wear the appropriate attire subculture of the culture, right? Where people don't even like fully take off the garments to have sex or whatever, because they think that's being, you know, right. They're not being worthy or whatever. That isn't, but right. And and again, we make those promises, but it's up to you how you live that. Right. That's not up to anyone else. Not at all. Through your choices and through feeling, we're back to being mindfully aware feeling what's appropriate for you and where those bounds lay. And, right. And, and, and I, I think that, you know, again, when we get back to the, the, the different uh, laws, right, there's celestial law, telestial law, terrestrial law that you can live. If you say, listen, I'm not living a celestial law. That's just not, I'm not interested. In I don't want to wear garments. I don't want to, you know, live that law. I don't want to, you know, just take on that responsibility. I don't want to pay tithing. Whatever the case is for you, it doesn't matter. Those, not, those are not bad things. Those are your choices. You can live within the, the, the boundaries of the law that you set. So if you love just to wear you know, cute little outfits that really flatter your body. And you're not out there trying to, to, you know, draw men in or or manipulate anyone like that. You just look really good and you love that you look good and you should flaunt what you have because you work really hard at it, but you're not being disgusting about it or or inappropriate about it in any way. It's okay to, to do that. And I think, you know, a lot of times women will look at women like that and I think part of it they'll judge them but it comes from out of jealousy where it's like hey that woman is powered powered to live the way she wants and I have to live this way and you just went into judgment judgment's not mine it's the Lord yeah yeah, and for me uh, you know the way I would choose to do it is I you know that I choose to wear my garments at, at, at those times and then there are other things like working out um intimacy um, going the onto the beach. I'm yeah, definitely not Obviously. going to, to wear that. That's the thing. And then at that point I choose what it is. Um, but it's, it's up to, it's up to me. There's no judge. I, I kind of want to end again with Gordon B. Hinckley because the end of this talk has just a really powerful paragraph that about the daughters and about young women or about women, we'll just call it women in general, but his viewpoint of how we, as a society or a church need to help and treat them and see them. He says of all the creations of the almighty, there is none more beautiful, none more inspiring than a lovely daughter of God who walks in virtue with an understanding virtue, meaning power walks in power with an understanding of why she should do so. That's interesting because that, that's her understanding of why she should Correct. do so, not the church culture, Correct. not anyone not else. Not her parents. Not her parents, no. An understanding. She is empowered saying, I have this power. I have an understanding of why I walk this way, why I walk in virtue and power because I am an amazing daughter of God it with is, amazing power. With amazing power. And it's beautiful. And that should be celebrated and not judged and not stifled but again with the with the culture of the church they take that quote and say okay that means there's only one way to look and to live and to dress we all have to do the which same, is not true which is not true at all but that's right. what people are and different with. cultures dress dress differently oh, people will say women who have to veil their faces they do that out of out of the, you know they're being manipulated they told some women that's their level of comfort if maybe culturally that's what they've been taught they feel comfortable with that. That's okay. That you know, there's different ways that they dress. That is up to to them and the way they have been taught and what again, whatever they feel empowered in to be able to do that. And he goes on and he says, um, "Who honors and respects her body as a sacred and divine as sacred and divine? Who cultivates her mind and consistently enlarges the horizon of her understanding? Who nurtures her spirit with everlasting truth?" God will hold us accountable if we neglect his daughters. He's given us a great and compelling trust. May we be faithful to that trust. This is 88. Wow, this yeah. is a long time ago. He's asking us, we need to see our daughters differently. 
we need to, yeah, to yeah, give yes. them that power and allow them to enlarge that. They need to go to school. They need, and, and look at the missionaries of the church too. Women are becoming empowered of, I want to go on a mission. I want to serve God. I want to go out and, and do these things. There's Sister missionaries are phenomenal. They're all fantastic. Yeah, I know that, that's wonderful to see. It's, it's a great way to, uh, to show the Lord you love him and to serve and gain an incredible worldly experience in terms of traveling to another country or seeing being engrossed in other cultures that you've never seen before learning a new language meeting people that you you know you've never met before in terms of the kind of personality they are and the lifestyles that they live and just that experience that you don't get just living your normal life for any of us right it's incredible for what they get to do with that and uh but yeah it's it's it is interesting that um you know the the culture just really perpetuates that there's only you know one way to to do all of this right there's only one way to dress and when you i find when you when you send a girl home from a high school dance because her skirt is too short or things like that it's just sending all these wrong mixed messages these this is who knows if that's someone's values their own personal values that they're projecting onto this girl but she may look amazing she may feel amazing she may feel that this is completely appropriate for me to dress this way but because being shamed like that, she's going to start questioning that. She's going to start doubting herself and wondering, well, can I be who I am and be a member of this church? Or do I have to conform and become a Stepford Mormon? And, and also looking at if I've left, it, maybe gaining a new understanding. And again, this is why we have this podcast. Gaining a new awareness and understanding of how I treat my daughter, what I believe about myself. There are women in marriages that will conform to what their husband wants and not be true to themselves, dress the way their husband wants, ask the way that their husband wants. You know, he doesn't want them to look attractive to other men. If they look attractive to other men, they're just attractive. It's okay. Other That's men wrong. can look at some, it is. That's it's, insecurity. It's, it's abuse. It's, it's abuse it's and abuse. insecurity and control. And if you're worried that your wife is so beautiful that she's going to leave you for another guy, then you got bigger problems in the way she dresses. There's a problem with your with, relationship and with your your own personal security, right? And your, your own self-esteem. And that has nothing to do with her in any way. She, she, I mean, I would want my wife or girlfriend to be as beautiful as possible. If she, if she loves that, if she wants to be like, let's celebrate how amazing that she is. And I just trust that, you know what? She, if she wants to be with me, she's gonna reject any guy that comes onto her, asks her out or whatever. And if she wants to, to take advantage of that and be with somebody else, then she wasn't the right person for me anyway. So either way, I'm not going to be upset about it. And that's entering into marriage with that understanding, not out of fear, but out of faith. I do want to spend eternity with this person because we are working together. Because if we're working together, it doesn't matter how she looks, she's going to be attractive. You know, you could be out planting a garden and have on, you know, dirty yep. boots and work jeans and yeah, work on a ranch or, and not have your hair done and still be beautiful because you're working together for a goal and that you have commonalities with each other. And you're right. There are bigger problems because you do want your wife to look amazing and be empowered. And if other men say, wow, you know, you look beautiful. It's, that's a wonderful thing because... 100%. I welcome that. The natural is. man in me absolutely wants to have a hot wife that guys are going to be like totally <laughs> wanting and desiring and coveting. And that's just the natural man in me. And I'm not going to apologize for that because that's, that's how it is. That doesn't mean that, you know, that, that we should follow those kind of things. But I absolutely support uh, a woman in her, her, her choices. And I, I love a woman who takes the time to look her best, whatever that is for her. And every woman is different, right? Not all women want to just get fully made up and makeup and hair and all these kinds of things. They're attractive and sexy just the way they are. Maybe they're a tomboy and they just they look amazing that way maybe it's just like eyeliner and lip gloss and they're out the door and they still look really attractive that that's it's it's not about saying here's my image and my standard of what i find attractive please fit that that. that's the control kind of thing that's like listen what is beautiful about this woman and and you know and what does she think is beautiful about herself and how does she define her own beauty and then support that and celebrate it and just let the world see it yeah and, in, and there's nothing wrong with other people validating you, even if they're the opposite no. sex. So Absolutely. if a man says that and it's done in a, in a, a like healthy energy, that's, that's wonderful that he can see beauty in all things and be able to compliment that. And the compliments and being able to say those things, those can flow freely. That's validation that comes that's healthy again 
to be able to express to other people. And I think that's kind of where we, we're taking this is getting out of the culture of shaming and blaming into healthiness and being able to support, especially the young women of the church, in understanding who they truly are and, and finding that power that they're divine beings. Yeah, there's a huge disconnect between God, his definition of, let's just say, power, and what the church culture defines as power. And it's just so confusing, and, and it's, it's sad to me, right? People are growing up, and they're having these bad experiences, they're having struggling marriages because they just feel like they, they I mean, they get, get programmed to the point where they just don't want to get away from that definition of sexuality, right? Because they just feel like they're, they can't handle the guilt. Right, the guilt and shame, and yeah. it's, again... and it's horrible, it's ruining marriages. Whatever you do in your marriage is between you and your, your husband, and, and that is for you to choose and decide and not for another man to judge or tell you that it's right or wrong. Anyone, another person, another leader in the church, it doesn't matter. Correct. But again, we've, we've talked about this before, there is such an emphasis that in a, a program a programming that gets drilled into people's heads from birth is that your leaders and your people in authority you know uh, have the power to uh, and, the, and the keys whatever to make decisions and tell you you know you should listen to what your leaders say because they have this calling for a reason kind of thing and they whatever they tell you to do you should do that's what the right thing is and that's completely wrong it's a hundred thousand percent wrong and it hurts people and they get caught up in this and then they can't really deprogram themselves from that pattern right. of thinking and even leaders not crossing that boundary and oh, yeah, and it, it's it telling they, people right or wrong and being judgmental well, but the in same that way. standards in, in the culture of the church leaders come into leadership and they start to think, well, I have to act this way. I have to do this. People are expecting me to give them all the answers, or people are expecting me to live this level. And this, and you know, have you ever seen somebody gets called to a bishop, and all of a sudden they they start talking in their general authority voice, right? They change their whole their demeanor. whole demeanor, their whole their everything, their whole um, countenance change. And that's not the person that they are. That's not the guy that you hang out with, right? Before he became a bishop things like that. He talks differently. He acts differently. Right. He's, you know, all this. They, I think people feel like they have to. And again, this is just all the church culture saying, this is our idea of what a leader looks like. You have to look this way and act this way. And, oh, you would never act that way. He's a bishop. He would never do that. And, and people just feel all that kind of pressure. It's just, it's all messed up. It's, it's just complete. Um, it's just white noise that is distracting everybody from the truths of the, the, truth the of simple it. truths of the gospel. And That's it's not it getting is. distracted, but staying true because the path is the word of God and stay on the path and not get distracted by the culture and by those things. Okay, that's another thing. It might be another That another would be topic, another, I was going to say, but, now we're right? going into another topic. Yeah, because, but just to uh, put a little tickler here for, for people, the, the thing, the this is another cultural thing possibly, but the straight and narrow path. I know that that's, you know, kind of scriptural and whatnot, but I think what people put in their mind is there's a narrow path. You have to hold on to the rod. We all have to walk single fall along this path. If you deviate from that path, well, then you're wrong. And that meaning that there's just only one way to go. We all just go single file. Yeah. And, know, and, and I think that's the, another, that's another topic. Enough, yeah. yeah, it is completely. To right? But it's, 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 it's a whole, it's, it's just, uh, I think, taking what's true and kind of twisting it to give it a different meaning that, that is not healthy for people. So, okay, I have a quote that I want to just end on real quick. And I okay. just want to say it because uh, this is something that uh, I came across that really does um, kind of define, I think, a, a big problem with, with virtue is that we're living in a society that does not embrace the, the right and healthy definition of virtue at all, right? And, and the, the world will, will tell you to, to don't worry about virtue, give away your sexual power, give it away, that's what people want, that's what gives you power back, which is false, right? You don't have any kind of value when you give away all your power. And, and society has just changed over time uh, to where we just basically adopt these kinds of values and we expect them, which is super, super sad. So um, this was interesting. And being a gentleman myself, this really caught my attention because I still think that all of this is, is really important. There was a time when gentlemanly behavior protected women from vulgar behavior. Now we expect sexual harassment laws to restrain vulgar behavior. Mm-hmm. We rely on police, we rely on the courts, we rely on the law to get the message out to say, yeah, abuse is wrong, or this is bad, or you shouldn't treat a woman this way. That's what it comes to, whereas we should be stopping it ourselves. Right, internal check-in. Oop, that was crossing a boundary. Mm, probably not a good idea to say that, as opposed to, oh, that's just my right because I'm a man. 
Yeah, and that's oh yeah, that's that's exactly how it is. Men, culture has really yeah. deviated in that way to where that's just women not are objectified, and you know women try to just you know if they want to dress nicely and and feel sexy and feel confident, they get objectified because you know men the, take advantage take of advantage them. of, and that is, that is not a license for men to do that no. in any way. That's completely horribly wrong, and uh, it makes me sad because uh, I still believe in chivalry and. Um, it will not die, not on my watch, at least. <laughs> right. So that is the virtue episode, everybody. I uh, love it. I hope uh, you got some uh, good things to think about and reevaluate. And I hope that you realize that uh, you know, if you feel that you have been shamed and programmed by your experience growing up in your religion, whatever religion you are, that that is not right. That is not who you are, and it's okay to define your confidence and your power the way that God meant it, and also what works best for you. And, and just tapping into that power and truth, it's truth, and tapping into the truth and asking God, being open, creating a space for him to have you feel how amazing you are. Because when you can tap into that, it, it goes from being the small self to this large self of, I am amazing and I have limitless possibilities that are in front of me to be able to experience and, and just coming into that power uh, and understanding, and I'm not going to take that power and use it unrighteously or in a way that will hurt other people and manipulate them. And and if we can do that every day, that's being a moral, ethical human being. And that's, that's true what, power. That, there you go. Absolutely. All right, well, everyone, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. And in the meantime, keep the faith and keep your stick on the ice. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Impeccable Perspective Podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Amazon Prime, iHeartRadio, and wherever fine podcasts are sold.